0: Hello and welcome to The Double Pivot, the world's most agreeable soccer analytics podcast. I am Michael Cayley. We are back after a very exciting weekend of the Premier League. We had our podcast about the titles. We talked about Arsenal and Man City. And then we are like, okay, so we're going to do top four and we're going to do relegation. And then we started like mapping out what we would need to talk about to talk about top four and relegation. And it's like the entire freaking Premier League except for Villa and I guess Fulham. So this is going to be instead a return to the Premier League and talk about basically every team kind of two part podcast. We've got a tight time limit. We're not gonna, we're not gonna overrun. We're not gonna dawdle. We're not gonna hit any tangents. We are going to stay tight and focused on each Premier League team. Enjoyed by Mike Goodman. This is his favorite thing to do in a podcast.
1: The music you heard on the way in
0: is The Whalers. Please download and subscribe. Make happiest happy podcasters. Patreon.com slash double
1: pivot. We have a Discord now for all of our Patreon subscribers. It's fun. We talk about all sorts of things. Sometimes soccer. Mostly like Marvel Snap and nerd gaming. And there was a lot of college football talk that I was like vaguely aware of going on in there over, you know, during the championship game and stuff. I don't know. <laughs> it's fun. Y'all should hang out. Let's talk about the Premier League, and uh, I will try to be as concise as possible, as I'm sure will you. We'll just go, like, down the table or whatever, and let's get the top two out of the way, since we just did a podcast on them, and I don't have anything new new to say about either of them, despite the fact they both had big games this weekend.
0: Right, we're going to come back around to them as needed. The only thing is that I just felt there was a moment when we were saying, like, we'll be talking the title for the rest of the season, and I was in, in my head I was thinking, or... Like, Arsenal could be up 11 points in two weeks, and we'll never talk about it again. And that uh, scenario is very much on the table. So, yeah, we'll see, but we'll we'll come back around to that at some point. Neither of those teams are particularly at risk of not making top four. Neither of those teams is at risk of being relegated, so we can dispense with them. But then we've got, like, who else can we dispense with, and do we want to say anything about those teams? Yes, we can dispense
1: with Fulham,
0: even though they are in sixth place.
1: So maybe that is the place to go here. Why are we not going to consider Fulham, newly promoted Fulham, as a Champions League contender on 31 points with Manchester United currently in fourth with 38, even as we consider four teams below them as like
0: at least worthy of mentioning? Yeah, so it it starts—the it, air in Fulham's numbers, just like, there's some of it at every level that you go down. One, they've played 20 games, so everyone has at least a game in hand on them. Two, their goal difference of plus three is significantly better than their expected goal difference of negative seven. Four— They lead the Premier League in red cards and penalties won in both categories. So there's a ton of air in their expected goal difference, both from the penalties that they have conceded and from the amount of time they've spent playing 10v11. All of this adds up to a team that, like, you know, honestly, if this team were in 15th place, if they just had a a pretty bad run of luck instead of a good run of luck, we would not be dismissing them as a team that could get relegated. But they're in sixth with 31 points, so they will not get relegated. So Nice work if you can get it. it. I mean, I do think that they've been marginally better than we expected them
1: to be coming into the season. I think we thought they were a relegation battler, and I think their underlying numbers are, like, probably not going to get relegated numbers. But as we're about to get into, like, half the league almost is, like, Somewhere between could get relegated, will get relegated, might get relegated. It's at least possible to get relegated. And, like, Fulham should be in that
0: discussion, not this discussion. But you live right, you get the points, you don't worry about it. Yeah, and I don't have a lot to say about Afton Villa. Aston Villa are another team, like, you know, a couple bounces go right for them. They could be higher up the table. Yeah, so
1: Villa, Villa were... Poor under Gerard in a way that I think it was reasonable to suggest was the manager's fault, but they were poor in a way that was underperforming numbers that were better than their results. And we thought last year when Gerard came in and they improved their underlying performance of play that like he was doing a fine job, and then it all kind of like melted down this year. And that when I who is a perfectly fine good manager, comes in and they go back to being perfectly fine and i do think well, we're going to talk about wolves at some point as well like one of the stories here is like how deep the managerial bench in the premier league is right now um which we can come back to but like unai emery at villa is a very good manager for aston
0: villa if you look at his career of managing so there you go
1: yeah
0: and emi uh, Buendia is in the team every week and is one of the you know, best ball progressors in the league who also gets a fair number of shots. Like, you know, you look at that, those sorts of lists and it's all players on really, really good teams and Bwendia. so. It's yeah. nice
1: when a manager, a new manager comes in and like sees what we have been saying is a thing that exists. Brendan Rodgers still won't start Kalachi Iannacca,
0: though, so. <laughs> we will get to Leicester. Yeah, so I think it's time to talk about Newcastle. Yeah. We did a little bit, about them in the podcast on Miguel Almirón, but like they're just a good team.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's some funky stuff going on with their numbers. I think like at zero zero, they don't create a ton of good chances. They just create a lot of sort of low stakes chances and don't take a ton of risks. And there are lots of times where that, well, like what I think makes them fairly unique is that they are reticent to increase the risk taking as that approach doesn't work deeper and deeper and deeper into games and it has not bitten them and now like you would say it probably shouldn't on average bite them all that often right like if you accrue 1xg over or 1.2 or 1.3 over lots of you know somewhat mediocre shots then like eventually you should get one and that's like happened to them like every week um but w- that doesn't show up as much in their overall numbers because they are very good at tacking on once they are up they create a lot of very good chances up 1-0 and as long as you're getting that first goal that is a recipe for tons of success we will see if they hit a a period over the second half of the season here where they go a couple of games where they can't crack that first goal which has changed a lot of their matches
0: yeah i think i think the other question with this team is their fitness they have been along with uh arsenal a, a team that has just been able to get tons and tons of minutes from their top players Guimarães reich got injured this weekend you know they, they, they've they made do with they, they they've they've built a, um and then they have been without Sam Maximin and, and and done well with that, but like, they're def- they haven't had to like deal with any problems in their defense. They haven't had to deal with any problems of like not being able to run things through Trippier. Like, the- it's a team that has, is beginning to build up top four depth, but doesn't actually have top four depth yet.
1: Yeah, it's very much like Arsenal in which they've had injuries, but they have had injuries in the positions where they can fade those injuries. You know, like, Isak has missed a bunch of time, but Isak is just not clearly their number one striker, which I, like, personally think he probably would have been by now had he been healthy. So is that, like, being impacted by injuries? Yes, but you're getting injured in a place where you can afford it.
0: I mean, so long as they have to play Chris Wood, they're really losing something, but so long as they can keep, you know, balancing either Wilson or Isak minutes, it's just fine. I do think that if Guimaraich is out for a significant period of time or has some other injury, like, this is a guy who is giving them, like, solid shot production along with midfield control, passing, and defense. And, like, you just can't replace Bruno Guimaraes with one midfielder. You're just going to get worse when you have to replace him with one midfielder. So Okay, but what if that midfielder was Scott McTominay? That, is, that has
1: been the interesting rumor today. And I will say, well, I joke about th- that. It does kind of feel like Scott McTominay is a guy who will go in and, like, be a contributor in the system that Newcastle has built. In that sort of funky, like, get forward from midfielder Tin, like, do a lot of stuff and provide an attack role. Like, there are not a lot of places where I would look at a, 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 a McTominay-Chester, and obviously it all depends on the price, and be like, oh, okay.
0: But I think Newcastle might be one. Yeah, that's right. So that, that's a great way to move into talking about Manchester United. There we go. That's why I did that. So are Manchester United good now? I mean, like, right. Well, they, they had a truly horrific first couple of games to the season. Absolutely. But like, and so maybe you'd want to like discount that now when you're looking at their numbers, but they're at like plus 0.4 expected goal difference per 90 this season. And last season, they were. You know, last season they were about even. So it's a big improvement from that. But a team that was plus 0.4 goal difference per 90 last season was Arsenal. And obviously, you know, <laughs> they've gone on with the title. So maybe maybe Manchester United will do that. But, like, that was a team that fell short of top four. And it seemed like, you know, reasonable that they would fall short of top four. Not like oh, some horrible injustice was done that this team didn't make it. That's kind of the level that they're playing at. And, and it is good. And right now they keep winning while playing that level and that, that that's good but like this is just sort of a team that is usually right this team is like just running a little bit hot and probably they're running hot for their goal difference they're, they're only plus eight goal difference you know Brighton has a better goal difference than Manchester United they're just timing their goals incredibly well and that's good they are a team that like you know you would expect to be around top-four competition, and they've been very fortunate how they timed their goals. So they're favored in top-four competition. Like, that's good. That's better than it was. I just think we could overstate it quite a bit based on their recent hot streak.
1: Yeah, I also think that it's important to raise a little bit of a red flag here that, like, while I think they are good right now, the way in which they are good is extremely fragile. Um You are... I think the Rashford-Martial combination up front has worked quite well and then martial goes off at halftime against manchester city halftime second half whenever with an injury because he's always injured rashford is not a healthy attacker right um christian erickson is playing a ton of minutes and i just do not see how that can continue without a drop-off over the course of this season now in other ways i think um this weird Luke Shaw at center back thing has kind of given them more depth along the back line. Um, Casemiro coming in and, and and sort of finding his feet quite well, which gives you Casemiro and Fred and apparently not McTominay, where they're looking to sell, um, gives you a little bit more depth in midfield and, and, and Casemiro is great. So like, that's fine. Like the concerns with Casemiro were never this season. It was always like, what's Casemiro as a player going to look like in two, three years. So I think that there's a good team here. I just like, I, I think back to like that stretch of time under Oli Gunnar Solskjaer after the restart, where they had like that two month period of being like legitimately quite good, but it was a fragile mix that could not persist for long periods of time. So the question that I continue to have as Jaden Sancho continues to be mysteriously absent is like, and, and, Anthony continues to be not that good. Like, how resilient is this Manchester United thing to sort of anything going wrong on the personnel
0: front? Yeah. I mean, this 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 big win streak they're now on, especially come in, in the Premier League, this win streak has been against Fulham, Forest, Wolves, and Bournemouth, who we will get to later in this podcast, quite a bit later in this podcast. And they did play very, very well against City. They really did. Uh, you know, just – I'll like, Talk briefly about the about the derby. I think that the I don't want to talk about the refereeing thing. I think it's like I think it's actually interesting, but there was so much interesting actual football that like screw it. They did a really really good job of throwing off the way that City wanted to build up against them with sort of a four man press, and it was some of the most effective work. I've seen a team do preventing this City team from getting to the final third. Yeah. It was really hard work to get the final third. That's how they ended up with just five shots and one goal.
1: Yeah, I think what is uh, fairly remarkable to me is that, like, City did not mount a real, like, high-pressure effort getting back into this match after they went down a goal. Um, The first half was sort of, like, one of those where nobody was really creating anything, which, like, the, the we talked a lot about City being too okay with that this year. And that was sort of my reaction, and then they get the goal on what is really, a, like, a, a, a gorgeous little cross from De Bruyne, and you think, okay, well, that's annoying. This match, nothing has happened and now City are up a goal and they're going to win. And then all the other stuff happens. And then they, like, when they go down a goal, you think, okay, now City's going to hit the gear where they could, like, actually try to score goals pretty aggressively. And that to me was quite an
0: impressive moment when that did not happen against, against United. Yeah. I mean, I mean, United had a couple of counters in, in, in the first half as well. That's fair. I mean, they, they were, the XG was
1: low because those didn't turn into shots, but absolutely those were dangerous opportunities.
0: So, you know, they're clearly favored for top four. I just think that, um, you know, a couple bounces go the wrong way, and and they're, you know, this is not a team that we should expect to just, like, dominate the rest of the way. I do not—I think, you know, Newcastle, their underlying numbers— Look like the underlying numbers of a team that is solidly top four, but their performance last season and I think the, their, you know, the, the possible injury fragility make me discount that quite a bit. And then match, like their, their underlying numbers simply are like a, a good team in the top four chase. Now it's kind of interesting. Like, if we want to go keep going straight down the table, the next time we get team, we get to is Tottenham. Want to go to next, the team we get to is Fulham. Like, who do you think is going to like possibly take top 4? Right, this makes the case for United here about not having to sort a yep.
1: top 4 race. Is there's like a there's a legitimate gap in the table now from the top 4 to everybody else. We talked about why we don't really care about Fulham in 6th. Let's just hit Spurs in 5th who are 5 points back but you know, with one more game played and have not been good for quite some time now. And I, I, like I think the word the place to start here is the derby because yep. what stands out to me is that when Arsenal go ahead, it's from this sort of comical Hugo Lloris moment. And Hugo Lloris at the, over the course of his career at Spurs has had some comical moments, but they've been paired with him being an ex- consistently an excellent shot stopper. If you look at the sort of the post shot expected goals numbers year in and year out, Lloris is always one of the top couple of, um, goalies. The top couple of keepers, right? And that's no longer the case. And so Spurs don't really have that break glass in case of emergency. And now what you sort of see is, like, when Arsenal go ahead, it wasn't like Arsenal were dominating the game. It was a, it was a, it was a Kante-ish game of, like, not tons of chances. Like, you know, Spurs were not, like, carrying the game, but it was like, defend and defend well and don't give up a lot. And like, if you defend and defend well and don't give up a lot with a plus keeper behind it, that's one thing. If you defend and defend well with a average to like increasingly maybe not even keeper behind it, and you're not getting those counterattacking opportunities, like, then you're a team in trouble. Yep.
0: Yeah. And they did end up getting a, a chance or two to Kane, but like, they are increasingly also a team that just relies on Kane. Sun is not getting that many shots. The reason that his XG is in an okay place is because he's assisting a fair number of shots for Kane. And they're also not getting a lot of shots even from Kulisevsky and Richarlison when they're in there. And then when they're not in there, obviously, they're not getting anything from those roles. So, like, the attack is... To some degree, you'd expect that Sun should be better than this. You expect that Richarlison and, and, and Kulisevsky should be at least healthier than this. But it's not there right now, and it's not obvious that a 30-year-old Sun Hung Min is definitely going to start performing at a higher level. And so long as they are this dependent on Kane, like, it's going to be hard to play at the level that they need to to make up some points. Like, their underlying numbers are not that dissimilar from Manchester United's. You know, I, I, I the gap there is, you know, they, they have, like, a better goal difference. You know, the gap there has, has a lot to do with, with the arrangement of goals, but they're also just not playing that great, and their better performances came earlier in the season. And, you know, you can definitely construct a story where just those three attackers start providing goals, and then they aren't dependent on Kane for goals and they get better. But that's not what's happening right now. And, and, and that, you know, it's not obvious that it's going to get significantly better on the other side of it. Right. To me, I think the thing that has happened is Spurs got pinched between two things.
1: You can afford Richarlison and Kulishewski not being healthy if sun is at last year's levels of sun. You can afford Sun not being at last year's level of Sun if Kulishevsky and Rasharlison are healthy and you want to de-emphasize Sun and emphasize those guys a little bit more. Even beyond that, if you were getting plus performances out of the wingback, if you were getting Inter Milan Perisic instead of, you know. Old Parisage, who is old, um or if like Ceion takes a major step up, or like you get whatever if if you're getting something super plus from the wing backs, maybe you can compensate. but what we have here is the deterioration of sun the like the injuries to the guys in the front line who might help compensate, and then you're also getting somewhat minus performances from the wingbacks, and then you have midfielders who can't pass and defenders who are like okay. And, and like, you put that all together, and, like, there's enough talent on this team, and you have Harry Kane having a legitimately good season. You can, in some years, with some results, sort of, like, scuffle your way to fourth. But you need help. And so if United are not going to help you, and Newcastle are not going to help you, and then we've got the teams further behind you, who are helping, like, part of what's happened here is, like, they got help from Liverpool and Chelsea, right? But, like, Newcastle and United also would need to kind of help them, or they'd need to play better. And, like, it just... It doesn't seem to me at the current moment there is an easy path for, like, Conte to rage quit on this approach and put in another better approach.
0: Yeah, my sort of dumb stats take on Tottenham is that All of the stuff with their buildup looks bad because they are being so much less efficient around the penalty area when they do sometimes get to the penalty area. If they were being very efficient as they were last season. When they got to the penalty area because Kane and Son were both getting shots or because they were getting that, that, that supplementary performances from Parasitra, Charles, or, or Kulosevsky, I think it just wouldn't be as noticeable to Spurs fans that their build up struggles because they'd just be getting the shots and getting the goals. But because they're not getting the shots and getting goals, that stuff shows up. And I I think the problem really does like start with the guys who are supposed to store the goals rather than starting behind them.
1: I mean, I think that that's
0: right. But not having guys that can pass the ball in midfield
1: takes away yet another avenue of adjusting when you have this struggle up top, right? Like One of the things that a different set of players under Kante could do would be to like pass the ball more and better and keep the ball more in midfield so that you could move the ball up the field more frequently and have more bites at the apple because your front line has deteriorated to the point where they
0: are not as efficient. Yeah, I think that's right. All right. So we uh, continue on down. I think we're kind of just going to like do most of the top four here, and this is a way that's going to work out. So next is Brighton. Brighton are good. Like, I don't know. Brighton have good
1: players. They uh, have a good approach. Deservey seems like he was a really good hire. And they're just, like, continuing to tick along, right? I, I guess the Trossard thing is, is the major concern. But, like, even he has been somewhat de-emphasized this year in the, in, in the attack as McAllister's developed. Um, Like, I don't know. They're just good, right? Like, they're just a good team.
0: Yeah, like, they, they've been able to de-emphasize uh, Trossard because they're now starting to get, like... Solly March has just been this like pure winger who crossed a lot and he's just started to get more shots. He's, and he's getting more. And then, and then they've re-emphasized Pascal Gross after sort of de-emphasizing him last season. And what they're getting from Gross and March makes it a lot easier to not be as dependent on Trossard, who apparently wants one last big score. He's 28 years old. The team is mad that that's not working out. And so you're getting this sort of classic stare down. One of the other reasons that this is uh, working out for them is Kaoru Mitoma, whom we will be talking about in another podcast. So I will just uh, tease that. But yeah, they're like, the level of performance is not quite obviously top four. Like, a lot of things would need to go right for this team to really be in the top four chase, but they're at a place where. A bunch of things could go right, and then they would be right there in the top four chase. They're not there yet, but I think that they're absolutely worth talking about in this context. Yeah, the other thing that i just like tie together there
1: is that the March thing and the Matoma thing are related, right? Because March is a left-footed winger who has played on the left for his entire career, who has moved over to the right for a number of matches now, which is why you're getting more shots, because Matoma is playing from the left. And that is sort of, and that's more of the Deserby thing as he comes in and he's tweaked them a little bit than anything else. But that is what's happened, which is sort of like a, a redistribution of roles that has worked for them. Like, you know, take a little bit away from here, put a little bit more there, everything comes together, and the team, like, keeps working. Which is in interesting contrast to the next team we're going to talk about, I think, uh, which is Liverpool where everything they've tried to do that and it hasn't worked um but i think i'm just going to go ahead and tease that for the next podcast
0: yeah i mean the the team ahead of liverpool is brentford who's really the other team that we feel we can just sort of skip over here i mean like we feel obligated to talk about them because they're in between liverpool and brighton
1: but like i i don't know they're 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 like it's what they continue to do is impressive. I don't think what they continue to do particularly threatens top four, and like honestly, top seven would be a phenomenal
0: finish for them. Yeah, especially with Ivan Tony having like the best season of his career, and apparently being you know about to be suspended. Everyone says. I mean, you know, always bet on yourself. What can I say? <laughs> Exactly. Like, we did say in the preview, we we, we had Brentford sort of top of the relegation – possible relegation group or bottom – I think we had the top of the possible relegation group. And the basic reason was that they had performed at a level that looked like a solid Premier League mid-table team, but they had a lot of the indicators of teams that have come up and had one solid mid-table season and then fallen down quite a bit from there. And they have decidedly not do that. They've been able to just keep doing that same thing and be a solidly mid table team now getting a couple of bounces so that here they are ahead of Liverpool. But I don't think that we should be talking about them as that much more than that. Yeah, that, I mean, that seems right to me. And that's like a real
1: accomplishment for them. And I don't know. I think Thomas Frank seems like a, Frank seems like a really good manager. Um, but then again, I thought that, uh, you know, we were going to go from Brighton to Chelsea, and Graham Potter was a really good manager, and we'll talk about that, too, on the next podcast. Yes, we will. All right, well, that will be
0: available at patreon.com slash double pivot. Yeah, thanks for listening. Cheers, Cheers huh? y'all.